Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. I'm Mark Stenson, and I'm here with my co-host, Kirsten Gouldy. Hello, everyone. Hello, Mark. Another day happening here on IntelliKey Leadership Stories. So excited. Well, we can't wait to get into our episode today. Our guest is Lachelle Amos. Lachelle, just can't thank you enough for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Welcome to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. And we continue to celebrate a new year with new opportunities and new visions. Kirsten, how's the new year starting off for you? You know, super exciting. And it lines into the conversation we're going to have today. There's hope. There's optimism. Again, there's a feeling that things may get better on a global level. We know there's hard work to do, but it's pretty exciting. And, you know, I'm going to lob that question back to you, Mark. How's it going? It's going good. (laughs) You know, and I think back even to the winter solstice when there was sort of this, again, like you said, new optimism, new things opening up. Can't wait to see how the world unfolds. Exactly. Hard work to do, but I think we're all up for it, I hope. Our guest is Lachelle Amos. Lachelle has been living in Nepal. She's uh, calling in from Germany today. Just a a global scope of experience and knowledge, and we can't wait to talk to Lachelle. She's an international peace and conflict resolution expert. She has experience in leading teams in the Middle East and East Africa and South Asia. And she's been the founder of Silence of Sound Yoga. So blending this experience in yoga training with the international practice of conflict resolution, it's a nice blend. And earlier in 2020, she was a contributing author to an international bestseller, and it's called Awakening, Meet the Women, Birthing a New Earth. And we're excited to find out about uh, that book and some of the women that are featured and what birthing a new earth means. So Lachelle, thanks again for being with us. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Let's start with this idea of resolving conflicts and your work in the international field of conflict resolution in all sorts of troubled places. What were some of the conflicts that were happening and what was your role in helping to reconcile those? Great question. Yeah, the conflicts varied quite a bit depending on where I was based, but uh, essentially in most of those positions, I was serving as a country director of different international nonprofit organizations. Through various funding, we were working anywhere, well, mostly along the community level, resolving conflicts. But even at the community level, those conflicts had the potential to impact peace agreements between like international peace agreements. So for example, like in South Sudan, where, where I was working, we were working with the nomadic pastoralist tribes who were often used as militia proxies by both Sudan and what is now South Sudan. And we would bring together those tribes with host communities along the migratory routes because the conflicts that they had often over, for example, water access was a, a really key conflict in that area. those conflicts had the potential to ripple all the way up to the 12 pillars of the international peace agreement between Sudan and South Sudan. Um, So the types of conflicts varied, but they definitely had the potential to become something much bigger if they weren't dealt with at the, the community level, the regional or district level. So interesting how these things can ripple out from what seems to be a, like you said, a community level conflict, but all of a sudden becomes an international crisis. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same like for the work that I did in Iraq, for example, we did a lot of work with refugees, supporting refugees and internally displaced people. And um, so that was more like providing the assistance for those impacted as a result of the conflict. So that larger scale conflict impact, impacting the, the local communities. So it worked both ways, like the, the impact of the conflict. Sometimes, especially we Americans have a you know, short attention span, but we hear about refugee crises and they're in the news for a little bit and then we forget them. What is the ongoing situation in a lot of these countries with these migrants and the moving about and refugees trying to you know, move to a better, safer space? Wow, that's a difficult question. I mean, when, when you talk about displaced people, a lot of my work has centered around um, displacement. And some of that it was voluntary migration, like with a nomadic pastoralist. I mean, voluntary in the sense that they were moving based on the needs of their herds of cattle, right? And so where, where the resources were available. But when you look at situations like Iraq, for example, I mean, I was working there now is like nearly a decade ago. So it was a while ago, but the, the movements were in large part out of fear because their communities were being bombed. I mean, now, now there's all sorts of other factors that play into that as well in terms of non-state actors. And a lot of it, it like, so, so you have that migration and the displacement for conflict, but it's also over like climate change, like, the number of refugees that have been displaced due to climate changes is really big. You know, that's fascinating that you bring up the refugees due to climate change. I was watching a doc, one of the documentaries that Al Gore talked about, right? And he talked about how that will really become one of the largest pandemics of, you know, potentially our lifetime without addressing that. So, and that speaks to that need for that sustainable agriculture in the shift in this new earth that we're, that many of us have really latched onto as the new breath we need to take from our, our beautiful earth can you speak a little bit about that? Because that's a huge impact. And I love that you tied those two together. Yeah, sure. I, I think there's, there's one word that you said that is so spot on and so pivotal to um, the whole point, and that's sustainability. If, if we don't start to look at how to make this sustainable for all people at all levels, like equal access so that it's not just those who can afford to, to pay rising prices of, of food, if it's not sustainable and perhaps even locally grown, then then that becomes really problematic and um, people will then have to move because they don't feel that their needs are being met. And like one thing that was really striking for me when I was working in South Sudan, I would often transit in and out of Nairobi, Kenya. There was one day driving uh, a little bit outside of the city. I noticed this huge Monsanto compound and I just like my heart sunk. Yeah, that's Um, frightening. So I could imagine the jolt you had when you saw that. Yeah, I think in large part also because a lot of people don't understand. I mean, if you talk to the small village farmer out in Kenya, South Sudan, uh, even in Nepal, like the not all of them fully understand what a big corporation like Monsanto's endgame is, right? Because they're Mm -hmm. told something very specific. And Oftentimes the people working the fields don't always have the highest education levels and that 
critical thinking ability to be able to question what they're being told. I guess I often don't think about it within the U.S. lens, because even being an American, I haven't actually lived in the U.S. for so long that I have <laughs> my, my world, my, my view, my worldview is more outside of the U.S., but that's a really valid point. And I think it also links back into the fact that people inherently will follow the money if they feel that they're um, that their livelihood is at risk, if they feel that they don't have that safety, security, um, stability, then the values may not, they may not feel that they can make those decisions based on their values, um, even if they don't necessarily agree with it. I mean, that's something that I've observed um, in the countries that I've worked in. Sure. And Lachelle, I guess, uh, going back to then the conflicts that arise over these resources, whether it's, you know, water, land, etc. Tell us about the fear part of that. What's the internal human emotional part of these conflicts? How can, how can we look at those? I love that you just asked that, um, especially given all that we collectively experienced in 2020. Fear being a huge part of that. And when when we feel that we don't have that safety or security, I mean, basically with any change, there's a certain or unpredictability, there's a certain level of fear. Evolutionarily, like our brains are wired to release stress hormones when the body feels like it's stepping too far out of the comfort zone. So when, when we're ruminating in this state of fear, we began to lose our ability to rationalize um, the way that we might otherwise if our parasympathetic nervous system, that rest and digest system is a little more regulated and kind of taking the lead on things. When people are reacting from that place of fear, whatever that might be, and this it's not just in terms of resources. I mean, it's also in terms of like social conflicts, for example. I mean, essentially it's coming down to the beliefs and the identities. So what, what we've been conditioned to believe what our limiting beliefs are, what our patterns are, like what we were taught as children or what we're societally taught, like all of those play a very big role in how we respond to fear. And it's in, in my experience, and this kind of blends in a little more of the, like the yoga side of it, but uh, it's through that practice, practice of mindful awareness, like really being able to, to see kind of outside of ourselves and to be able to objectively see the beliefs that we're holding on to, only then can we start to deconstruct the fear. And that's where it's get, it gets really interesting because when you start to look at identity, I love looking at identity as a concept in conflict because in order to transform conflict and like really believe in the transformative power of conflict, we have to deconstruct what we think, who we think we are. Mm. So I have a question about that. How do you actually effectively transcend that? when two parties, and we've been asking our guests this, right? It's just a perfect example to use. But when conceivably two sides don't want to shift their opinion, there is no starting point. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a great question. And the very first thing that comes to mind for me is that we can't, we will never be able to do that if we only approach it from our heads. If we try to approach it logically, we're going to constantly, then we're, we're holding on to maybe logically isn't necessarily the best word, but like if we're, if we're only coming at it from the place of the mental realm, um, then we're holding on to these ideas of um, the stories that we've been told, the stories that create who we are, the stories we think we are because of the traumas and the experiences from our lives, from our ancestral line, 
And so if we're only staying in this mental place, trying to deal with this conflict, we're, we're not going to be able to resolve it. We have to be able to come into the heart. We have to be able to feel it in our body. And until we begin to actually each all individually be looking at how these make us feel like to sit with this discomfort and it can get super uncomfortable <laughs> looking at these patterns. But when we start to sit with it, then, then we begin to feel it and then we can begin to transform it. But if we're only approaching it from a mental space, it's going to be very challenging to overcome the differences. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe we move to the individual and how we access our own hearts. You're a certified yoga, both practitioner and instructor, but you also have a sound healing practice, which I think is fantastic. How, how do those things in your experience help us get to that inside the heart rather than inside your head? The yoga and the sound healing both are practice and yoga being much more than just the, the physical practice on the mat. There's so much more to it. When we combine these together, essentially they're practices that help us to come into our body, to really feel into our body. And it's once we're able to have that sense of centering and grounding, then we're able to like understand what it is that our body is trying to tell us where our body might be holding tension or stuck energy or trauma um, because the body does hold trauma. Our body is immensely intelligent and it holds a lot. And it's through these practices that we can begin to, I mean, there are other practices as well, obviously, but from, from my perspective, I teach with the, the yoga and the sound that we are able to come into our bodies in a way where we can then really start to see the subtleties and understand what we're holding and where. And it's through that practice of mindful awareness. And it really is a practice. So it takes, it takes lots of time and repetition. But it's through that practice of mindful awareness that then we are able to begin to shift the thoughts. We, we can identify the thoughts we have. We can shift the thoughts that we have and kind of rewire the neural synapses that then help us to be able to approach the day-to-day conflicts that we may experience and conflicts, meaning like even disagreements or tensions, discomfort, when we can do that, when we begin to shift that mindset, then we become more aware of what's happening and less response, like less reactive. So we're able to respond rather than react by like impulsively. Example. That's so good. I ask a question. It's almost like, you know, explain it to a five-year-old. But you know, we <laughs> use this word centering. And I'm curious your your point of view on that. What does it really mean to center ourselves? I love that question. I do. <laughs> I'm expressing my inner kindergartner right now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um like when from a yogic perspective, we have five layers to our body, right? And the physical body is the densest, but the others are subtler, they're finer. This kind of links a little bit back into what, what I was saying before about if we're just in our heads, if we're just in that mental space, then it's harder for us to be able to see things from different perspectives, for example. And so largely centering is about balancing the flow of energy in our body so that we're not just stuck in our head. Like if we're spinning in stories or constantly 
interacting with a critical inner voice, for example, then that this, I mean, if you imagine like the energy is just like whirling around our head and we stay up here and we're never fully in our body then. So movement practices, yoga, dancing, meditation, these are all examples of practices that can help us to really kind of settle down into our body so that we can actually it's a prerequisite really of being able to lead from our heart because if we're stuck up here, like the brain is kind of acting as the, is trying to overtake the CEO role when like physiologically, even our brain is actually like more like a COO. Like if our heart is the CEO, which it is physiologically, because if you look at like, it's a powerhouse, like electromagnetically, our hearts are 5,000 times stronger than our brain. So if we allow our hearts to leave the show by actually being in our body and um, having that balanced energy flow, rather than just having it all stuck in our head, then our heart can communicate to the brain and the brain does its job by sending out through all of like through the nervous system into all of the rest of the systems in the body. Does that answer the question? Well, it does. And I go back, Kirsten, to some of our discussions about the corporate world. And here you're <laughs> using CEO and COO. Wouldn't it be great if a company had a heart-centered strategy, heart-centered leadership, and then the COO does have to do the job. I mean, you know, we have to have operations <laughs> and functions, right? We can't just have the blood pumping and call it a day. Yeah, Mark, you're, you're so right. This is the great question. We've been continuing to have conversations with the, our conscious global leaders, and we keep poking, is it even happening? And does it work? So I'd be curious to know, how well do your practices integrate when you're actually in this conflict resolution area? Do you, how do you incorporate those tools? How do you elevate that consciousness so people are even become willing? Willingness is the key to open all doors, right? So do you bridge those two and is it successful? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. They absolutely. So I, I see my work as having four key threads. So the yoga and the sound healing help to bring us into the body. They help with that mindful awareness. I also do heart wisdom coaching. So that is like beginning to look more at tuning into our intuitive voice of our hearts and leading through that knowledge. And then the, the fourth is the, the conflict resolution of which I look at the transformative power of conflict. And if I look even at my own life and my own examples, even in the conflict resolution world, before I was even like a certified yoga teacher, being able to add in some of the like breath work, for example, like our breath is phenomenal way to be able to regulate our nervous system and to like really come into that place of calm so even something as simple as like inhaling through the nose and exhaling out through the mouth with a sigh, connecting with sound, it actually activates our vagus nerve, which connects in with many of our major organs and with our parasympathetic nervous system. So that's the part of the nervous system that basically allows, it tells the brain, I'm safe, I'm okay, I can relax. And by, by using that breath, even well before I knew the science and the, the yogic philosophies <laughs> behind it, like that was something that I would regularly do in my role as a country director when I was faced with conflict, 
there were definitely some interesting situations that I managed to find myself in. So for example, like even just within my team, one of my managers in South Sudan received a lot of complaints from his team about his outbursts of anger. And when I flew out to the field for a site visit to have a discussion with him, among other things, he was just so unable to process his emotions in a constructive way that he was very quick to anger. And at one point he was like inches from my face, like just right up in my face, hand just up like he was about to strike me. I could feel the heat of his breath as he was screaming at me. You know, in that moment, like even though I did not feel safe, like I just was doing that breath, just like really slowing down my breath to ensure that my nervous system stayed calm, that I stayed even kill. As a result, like we were able to get him to stop yelling and eventually kind of he was a, he stepped back. I mean, that's just one example. But I mean, I have other examples of witnessing soldiers assault civilians, you know, like some really brutal situations. But it's being able to keep our nervous system regulated. And that is such a key to then be able to step into that place of compassion and empathy, right? Like, so in the situation that I just explained, in no way does compassion ever condone the actions that are harmful towards somebody else. But what it does do is allow me to understand that that person is reacting from their own triggers, from their own wounds. And if I see that, if I can understand that, then I'm able to talk to that person from a heart-centered communication, which is a big part of what I teach also. And in that way, be able to kind of talk them into a place where, okay, we can at least settle this slightly differently uh, without it resulting in violence. So good. Well, let's talk about the book for a moment, Awakening, Meet the Women, Birthing a New Earth. Great title and a great premise. What's the book about? So it's by Ama Publishing, and it's a collective. There are about 36 of us, I think, contributing authors, and each of us women around the world, uh, adding in a bit of our knowledge and expertise into how um, anyone who picks up the book can then learn different ways to step forward from a more awakened state, or I guess that, that yeah, to say that if someone's interested in a particular topic, they'll learn ways to be able to move forward with that more consciously. So my chapter obviously was on conflict resolution, but just as an example of some of the other chapters, one was about uh, sound healing um, using the voice and connecting in with the energy of different goddesses. But then you also have things like sustainable gardening at, on your own land, like at home conscious parenting. There's some that are on, uh, one was written by a medical intuitive. Um, so there's a wide variety of chapters uh, and really fascinating. I've enjoyed all of them and all of the contributing authors are such fabulous women, like powerhouses in their own rights. Mm -hmm. And it seems like this call to action to rethink, reprioritize, a lot of rewords to, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. creating something new. 
What were some of those, I, I guess, you know, Kirsten uh, likes to tease me. I like the call to action stuff. Uh, but <laughs> what, what, what are these authors saying that we ought to think about and do differently? I think that pretty much all of it is to step forward in our lives in a more mindful and conscious way, understanding the connection, the, the unity of all of us, that we don't live individual lives. We are completely connected with everyone around us. And, but that being said, like we, we are still these unique beings, each of us individually, but we're all connected. And so there are different issues that each of us have to work on. And there is definitely something for everyone in that book, no matter where you are along your path. You know, I, I want to thank you, one, for your description just there, and but also the way that you have described how the other side, call it the spiritual realms or, you know, opening mind realms function because you articulated the science, you articulated it practically and pragmatically, which for some of our audience who may not have quite opened yet into the woke state, if you will, Right? I think that really helps people want to understand that it's not some obscure language that only people with dreadlocks and don't, I don't knock anyone with dreadlocks, but you know, there are a lot of leaders globally who don't necessarily want to go that route. So I appreciate your ability to bridge the two worlds because that's a gift. That's a skill. Thank you so much for reflecting that. I appreciate that. And Lachelle, what about your own personal journey and your, your travels? You know, sometimes we also like to think about where, where was that decision point for you that says, well, look, I can go into a career, I can pursue these things, but I'm really going to go into international conflict resolution, and then I'm going to travel and move, I'm going to live in Nepal, I'm going to, you know, develop my practice and probably develop your own spirituality along the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, for anyone who's really interested in all of the details, I'm writing a book. <laughs> Outstanding. But, um, yeah, that will so be. This will just here. be chapter one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess some of the key highlights. I have known since I was a child that I would be working internationally. I think by the age of 12, I had decided I was going to work internationally. I just didn't know exactly what that would look like. And it did evolve over the years. I guess when I, when I went to grad school for my master's in international peace and conflict resolution, big part of the driving force behind that, like aside from the fact that obviously I already knew that I was going to work internationally, I just recall growing up, there were so many times that we really relied on and um, it, was, it was so helpful for us as a family to receive the kindness and the, the gifts of, of others in moments when we really needed it. And I wanted to be able to, to do the same for other people, um, to be able to provide some kind of support or assistance just to be a light for someone who needed it in that moment. And I knew that that would take on an international form and it kind of grew on its own. I mean, I ended up flying to the Middle East. I had, I had never lived in the Middle East before. I'd never visited Jordan before. And when I graduated grad school, I knew that that's where a lot of the NGOs were working. And so I bought a one-way ticket, started networking before I left, networked when I got there. Within three months, I had a job. Yeah, that takes a, a bit of courage, I would That's say. bold. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. very bold. Let's, let's start with the one-way <laughs> ticket to Jordan. 
yeah. that's so country bold. I knew not, I knew that's very right. little about that. Yeah, no, but it's beautiful too because I mean I went with this mindset like oh I'll just be there for a couple of years and then I'll go back to DC and get this nice job where I can live in DC and travel frequently internationally and then the longer I was gone, the less I wanted to move back because it just opened up a whole new world for me and it developed quite a bit. And I, I mean, working with smaller organizations, I was able to move my way up the, the management chain pretty quickly and became a country director by the age of 27, which is pretty young. But it also meant that like I was putting my work um, in front of my own needs way too often. And as a result, I burnt out multiple times. And that's when I finally started practicing yoga and that kind of took on a life of its own. And so eventually that all blended together. And only in the last year really have I gotten back to the point where I knew I was never leaving conflict resolution, like conflict transformation and peace building work but I needed a break from it. And that's when I started teaching yoga and doing the sound healing work. And now I'm beautifully blending it all back together. And I'm so grateful for the way that we can create without having to stay within these prescripted pathways, because it's not a linear path for any of us. And everything that we do, we can incorporate in a way that just creates so much beauty for the world around us. And I'm very grateful for that. You know, what I love hearing the undertone, the underbelly is you listen to your intuitive guidance and you, you went with it. So often we get signs, we get signals, we have knowings and we choose that linear path because of the unknown or what's going to unfold if we listen to the guidance. And that mm-hmm. is for me, that's what I really work with my clients on. It's one of the first things like understand your, how you communicate with the unseen, unheard, unknown and listen, right? Because to your point, the universe is so efficient and abundant that, you know, it doesn't mean that life isn't in session and things don't happen, but it shows uh, like it just it's you can marvel at how it unfolds. But I also love how you talked about, you know, there comes that point where we've put our career first. You know, Mark and I, we've had, I think we discussed this on every show, right, Mark? <laughs> there, there just comes that point where you can't do it anymore. And you have to bridge. It's like the alchemy of the soul, right? Where you have to have all aspects of self and heart interwoven to actually thrive. But that's true abundance. We just had a guest, a brilliant guest who, you know, really talks about transcending even the self. So you can, it's not just about the money. It's not just about the career or even a singular focus of let's create peace. It's about thriving with personal abundance and then sharing that with the communities that we reach and touch. So how do you see that opening up your next chapter? Because this is the new earth, right? Like in my mind, you just described how it looks. That's beautiful. You know that equal giving and and receiving is very much a part of the heart. Um, It is a key quality of the heart. And the heart is, our, our hearts, it is harmonious balance point for how we interact with ourselves, how we interact with others, how we connect with the divine. There have definitely been twists and turns along my path that um, have taught me, you know, I I didn't always follow that intuitive guidance, right? I burnt out multiple (laughs) times. Like it was like a (laughs) swift slap to the face. Mark, can you relate? (laughs) No, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) 
Michelle, tell me more. What is burnout? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the biggest burnout for me was two surgery, like two major surgeries for two different issues in two different countries in three months. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like undeniable burnout. Sometimes it takes those moments where we feel that life just kind of slaps us upside the head <laughs> for us to like stop and evaluate. Oh, wait, this is because of what I'm doing. Like I'm not listening to my heart wisdom, as I call it, right? To that intuitive voice that's saying, hey, wait, maybe put yourself first here because if we we can't give from an empty cup and even if there's something in the cup that we're giving, if it's not good quality, then why are we giving it? So sorry, to circle back to your your question um, in terms of that, that next chapter, it's a beautiful process of following the flow and surrendering uh, really vulnerably trusting. And for myself over the course of this year, I have begun to have visions in, in my meditations of what my business is to step into next year. And uh, I know that the heart wisdom leadership programs that I, that I run will begin to take on working with um, change makers, with leaders who are interested in doing the hard work to heal their own traumas and wounds and in the process then be able to step forward and lead collectively for us to resolve collective traumas and wounds. And it's such a key, really pivotal point of where we step next in order to continue stepping forward in that awakened world. It's very nice. Lachelle, this has been a terrific conversation. I can't help but smile because our listeners know that on the one hand, we talk about very highbrow concepts like IntelliKey and soul's purpose and conscious leadership and things that we've talked about here today, centering and flow and things like that. And on the other side, we we know this is the real world. So we also talk about slaps on the side of the head and uh, and burnout and collective trauma, because we all know we've experienced both ends of that. That's the real life, isn't it, Kirsten, that we're trying to tell people that you you have to live in the world, but there is a way to conduct yourself and to prepare yourself and to practice these principles that will help you live more fully, right? Absolutely. And you know, it's coming to mind as we're talking, right? And I had a couple of clients this week where we've been having this conversation about performance. It doesn't mean we stop performing. It doesn't mean we stop looking to achieve higher goals and higher purposes. And it doesn't even mean that we stop following ROIs and, you know, looking at how we're going to get there, right? We still have, for me, I still have my business acumen that has really has great framework. What it means is that I have, you know, like Masajati talks about that 360 degree abundance where it all comes together and nothing gets sacrificed. I mean, that was such an insightful moment for me during our discussion with him, you know, during the new year. You don't have to sacrifice to have it all. Like we can have it all. And I personally love to work. I do. I love to work. And it used to be workaholism, but now because my life has been designed into a fabric that I love, it doesn't feel like work. I I get to hang out with Mark 
on podcasts. Like it doesn't, and global leaders. Like it you doesn't can't call get that better work. than that. No, like it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> oh. So our guest has been Lachelle Amos, just a terrific and wonderful spiritual leader, author of a new book called Awakening, Meet the Women Birthing a New Earth. She's also a yoga teacher and sound healing practitioner, bringing all that together in a practice of international peace and conflict resolution. Lachelle, what a terrific conversation. We've enjoyed getting to know you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm delighted to have had this conversation with both of you. I've really enjoyed it. And we just wish you all the best in 2021 and all the new ventures that are sure to come. Thank you. Same to you and to all the listeners. Listeners, come back again for our next episode because we just continue to have these conversations, as Kirsten was mentioning, of leaders who are sharing with us their day-to-day practices, but also that next level of leadership that's taking them to a higher purpose, a higher vision, and bringing organizations, brands, ventures of all kinds along with that. And we just can't wait to share the next interview with you in our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Thanks, Kirsten. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our websites, www.pureintellikey.com and www.mark-stenson.com. Thanks for listening to Intellikey Leadership Stories.